This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. I, I can't sit here and say I felt the tide turning in our favor. I just felt we started playing better. And first period, don't really want to think about that one, but um, they got that third one. Uh, and I think, you know, oddly enough, that's when I think our game started to, to pick up. And then we just, we get those two quick ones. Now we've got life. Uh, but I didn't mind our second period, even though we gave up that, that, uh, that first one. It was... You know, just some tough turnovers by us. Uh, but I thought we we started gaining control of the game, you know, semi-early. Or like I said, after that, they scored that third one, and I liked how we played down the stretch. Didn't want to think about that first period. Yep, hmm. that was probably a, uh, a good thing as uh, John Cooper got his boys to regroup a bit, switched up the lines. Mission and I talked about that in the post game. We'll do it again Today on the show, noon to one here on Lightning Power Play. The Lightning come away with a win last night in Jersey. And uh, it was a good win, all things considered. You pick up two more points, 6-3. And still, I guess, considered this Olympic break. Although, we'll, you know, the schedule is what it is. And mm-hmm. Lightning won't play for uh, a few more days here. And they'll take on Edmonton next week. But it is Power Lunch here on Lightning Power Play. I am Greg Lanelli, along with Dave Michigan. Steve Erstick's our producer. Hit us up on Twitter, at Bolts Radio. Belmar Line had a huge game. What did you make of the line combinations? Anything to draw from that? And is 400 goals career in the regular season the new 500? Sidney Crosby hits 500 goals for his career. We'll maybe talk about that a little bit and mish yarmir yager turned 50 yesterday and he's still, still playing. playing he's still, still playing. playing how about that maybe we'll touch on yager later on in the show as we wrap things up but uh, he mish, hasn't lost any of his he hasn't lost any of his hair either right boys he's always had great hair you and i great hair we're not able right to now. follow that same <laughs> not at all trajectory not at all but yeah he's still playing he owns the team uh, that he's playing for right now in in the Czech Republic. So we'll maybe touch on that as a fun story to end things. But the the Lightning uh, partner, let's get into the game last night because it wasn't it wasn't fun for them early on. And in, in fact, you know Brian Burns in his game recap uh, basically said, "Look, the first thirty minutes that was uh, pretty rough for the Lightning." But as they have a way of of doing these things, they I don't want to say they flip a switch. I don't know if it was the line combinations, whatever it was. Maybe it was just following the lead of the Belmar line. Uh, they started to to play a, a lot better, a little more intensity. And, you know, I think they got to Gillies the way they should have because it just didn't feel like he was completely comfortable in that last night. And uh, they came away with a win, and they'll take it as they get ready for Edmonton next week. Well, not to split hairs, but I'll split a few hairs here. I actually felt they started playing better before the 30-minute mark. I thought their game spiked upward after they fell behind 3-1, to which was early in the second period, and then it accelerated toward even better play when Coop switched up the lines. Just to be clear, and I didn't notice this while the game was going on, I went back and looked at it afterward, because if you go to the play-by-play, each play that is recorded, they list the players on the ice. So if you're wondering, like, when did Coop switch the lines, you can see the combinations basically play by play. So he didn't start the second period with those new line combinations, but he went to them shortly after Hughes made it 3-1. to one. And I thought the combination of those two things, it was almost like the Lightning woke up when it became 3-1 to one and maybe got a little anger in their game which helped them raise their intensity level. And then the new line combinations, I think, injected a a jolt of energy into their game. So I felt they were playing better well before Stamkos actually scored to make it 3-2. to And they were getting a lot more pucks to the net. I mean, they only had four shots in the first period, which, look, sometimes that happens when you don't have a lot of puck possession which they didn't in the first period. They weren't even having attempts go to the net. They only had eight shot attempts in the first period. So you're wondering, like, all right, how much better were the Devils than the Lightning in the first period? 
I think they were substantially better than the Lightning in the first period. The Lightning, and you mentioned this during the first intermission, Greg, the Lightning blocked 11 shots. So the Devils outshot the Lightning 8-4, but they also had 11 other attempts that were blocked. They had some close calls that missed the net. He sure had an opportunity when it was still 0-0, and where shots were still 0-0. The first two shots went in the net. The Devils' first shot went in the net, even though it went in off Chernak. We can get to that scoring kerfuffle later in the show. And then the Lightning's first shot on net went in, the maroon shot. But before that, Heischer was alone in front and missed the net. That was a chance, even though it didn't go down as a shot on net. So the Devils were just playing at a different level than the Lightning. They were playing quicker. They were playing with more intensity. They were attacking with speed. The Lightning had a lot of uh-oh moments, I think, in the first period where they dodged some bullets. Vasilevsky gave them some saves. Remember, he made a save on Sharon Govich and on Zaka. He stopped both of them in the first period. Those were two of the saves that he made, two of the six saves that he made. Sharon Govich would later score in that first period. But that was not a strong performance for the Lightning. And it feeds into this growing narrative now of why are the Lightning not coming out well at the start of a game after they've had several days off, let's say. So it's certainly gotten their attention. Kalorn talked about it post-game. We'll see if they do better when they face Edmonton a week from tonight. Then in the second period, it was a confluence of, I think, the Lightning mixed up the lines, which gave them some energy. I think they weren't happy about where the score was at that point. And they really gift-wrapped goals two and three for, for the Devils with bad turnovers. And also they raised their level. And from that point onward, it's not like the Devils didn't get any looks, but the looks they got were kind of on counters, isolated looks, maybe a shift here, a shift there. I thought the Lightning pretty consistently with the team kind of taking taking the game to the Devils rather than the other way around, which is what we saw in the first period. And then they got rewarded. And another key to this game, Greg, the Lightning's ability to score goals either in bunches, which they did in the second and third, and also score either on the shift after a goal, which they did in the first period after the Devils scored, and they did in the second period after they scored. So 3-1 became 3-3, in less than a minute, which was big. And then in the third period, they weren't on consecutive shifts, but I, I want to say that it was like three goals in about five shifts. Boom, boom, boom. 3-3 three, three became 6-3 three in a three-minute, four-second span. That was really important. When the Lightning got a goal, it felt like they got turbocharged and and popped in more. And sometimes you can do that against a younger more inexperienced team, particularly in this instance where the Devils were like, we had this game, what happened? And then all of a sudden it's like, you know, an avalanche falling on you if you're the Devils when the Lightning keep attacking, 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 and they cracked. They, they gave up those goals, consecutive goals in the second and and three goals in the third in, in short order that that put the game away for the Lightning. And the one other thing I'm going to mention is yeah. the penalty kill the Lightning had in the second period. We talked about that post game, Greg. Mm-hmm. If the fans weren't listening to the broadcast or listening to us now, I think it bears repeating. That was one of the biggest moments in the game because the Lightning's play had improved, but they were still down three to one. And one of those isolated chances that I was talking about, the Devils had a three on two, and Ruda was trying to get back. He was up on the play a little bit, he had stepped up, couldn't hold the puck in. So there was a forward covering for him, but it was still a three-on-two. He hustled back, but hooked Heashier. So the Devils, who at that point were up three-to-one and had gone one-for-one in the power play, had a chance to make it 4-1, kind of, sort of, late in the second. Didn't. And 31 seconds after the penalty ended, Stampko scored. That's a big swing. Yep. One of those little moments within a game that that – could have changed the way the rest of the game unfolded had the Devils been able to score there. 
I want to get to the line combinations because I think it's interesting to debate. But you had mentioned some other guys who who performed well. The Belmar line was fantastic. Pat Maroon getting a goal, but all of those guys had a couple of points. And mm-hmm. uh, out should of all have had more, yeah, should have had of, more than a couple of points. Yeah, out of all, at yeah. least Belmar should have had three. Yes, we can get into that too. But uh, John Cooper elected to keep that line intact, and I really felt like after the Devils' first goal of the game, you saw that line. It it just stood out how well they forechecked on that next shift. I mean, they came out hard. Belmar was everywhere. Maroon was aggressive, and Perry certainly doing the same thing. And they did that, you know, basically all night. So that was fun to watch. And you know, the play Sergachev made on what the Kalorn goal mm-hmm. was a fantastic play at the blue line. Was able to to keep the puck in, and you know, throws it on net. Nice low shot. And, you know, Kalorn does a good job with the deflection. So that was a pretty thing for sure. Hedman, uh, we heard the highlight coming in to the show. He ends up getting the game winner, and he's got now, what, 50 points? He's reached 50 points on the season, became the mm-hmm. first NHL defenseman this season to reach that mark. So uh, there are there were a lot of good things after the team kind of woke up after that first period, and... You know, whether we want to attribute to the line combinations, the Lightning just waking up, maybe it was because they woke up, the line combinations were able to, to kind of get them going, or maybe it was just the Devils coming back to earth a bit. I didn't, like I said before, I didn't think their goaltending was great. Uh, I th- actually thought on the Kucherov goal, Gillies just didn't play that well. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying if he had that it's he definitely a that. chance. Yeah. It's definitely a chance for Kucherov, but I remember what what Matt Lachlan said when he's the longtime radio voice of the Devils, he came on with us on Power Lunch before the second meeting between the Lightning and Devils, the one at Amelie Arena. And what he said was really hurting the Devils was that big save at a key time they weren't getting. And he he referenced Blackwood's performance in the first meeting that come from behind win for the Devils. And Blackwood gave the Devils those saves remember he made a 2-on-0 save on Kalorn in that game and that's what the Devils have been missing Vasilevsky does that for the Lightning I mean you can't rely on that every single night I mean sometimes scoring chances go in as they did on Vasilevsky last night Hughes had a good finish you know on an in alone chance where he got his own rebound but the Devils are not getting those Critical saves when it's not like it's completely the goalie's fault, but you need your goalie to bail out your team when they have a breakdown. And that didn't happen last night for Gillies. Specifically on a Kucherov goal. I think that's a great example because that's a chance for Kucherov. He's in the clear. It's not like a clean breakaway. He's at the circle. But that's one where... You're saying to your goalie, we just fell behind 4-3. We need a save here to keep this game within reach. You couldn't do it. For sure. And we can debate a little bit of the the scoring that was given to some of the players last night. And the, the Lightning, a couple of the goals they gave up were just, for sure, two of them off the top of my head, directly just related to bad, bad puck management or just a fluky play. I, well, I think we both thought that Hughes scored the first goal for the Devils. Is that puck? It, it felt like it was on Chernak's stick, and then Hughes was able to hit it into the net. But they mm-hmm. gave it to Dawson Mercer, which whatever. Um, I, I, I I don't know how they they end up making that decision. Well, this is this is probably minutia, but look, I've been calling games for for thirty years, over thirty years. You know, counting my college days, I'm not sure I've ever seen a goal like that that I can remember where the defenseman has possession of the puck, but the way he is angled, an attacking player can basically hit the back of the defenseman's stick, which forces a shot on net and the puck goes in. Hughes never touched the puck, but certainly Hughes caused the goal to be scored. Right. So you might say, all right, well, what's the rule? The rule is if the player, the attacking player, doesn't touch the puck, he doesn't get credit for the goal, which is why I think they gave the goal to Mercer, which led her to the law. That's the right call. The issue I had was 
How are they giving assists on that? The rule is just as clear on assists. If the puck changes possession, if possession is changed, and in this case, Chernak, with the Lightning, has possession of the puck. Right. Clear, clean possession. And the puck goes in off that player's stick. The the goal goes to the last attacking player that touched it, and it's unassisted. That's why when you see, and this is a different type of example, but let's say like a team scores into its own empty net, like on a delayed penalty, which sometimes happens, the goal goes to the last player on the team that scored the goal who touched the puck, and it's unassisted. The only way that you could have two assists on a goal like that is if Chernak never really had possession of the puck. And what I was saying to my engineer in between periods, because I'm looking at this, because first they credited it, I think correctly, Mercer. It actually said on NHL.com, Mercer, parentheses, own, <laughs> like own goal. In soccer, it's just an own goal. They don't even give credit to an attacking player for the goal. It's just own goal. Hockey's different, and we sometimes see defending players put the puck into their own net by accident. And sometimes it hits or shot it into his own net. It doesn't matter. The fact that he had possession should have meant that that goal was unassisted. So first they had it in Mercer unassisted, which to me is probably the right scoring. But then somehow they added two assists to Hughes and Sharon Govich. I'm like, that's just not right. I said that on the air. That is not right. I understand that, you know, sometimes these things are a little loosey-goosey and the home team sometimes gets the benefit of these these assists. Like, I understand that's part of how the league operates. And, and usually the league is kind of like, all right, that's fine. In this case, that was not right. Now, because I've never seen a goal like that, I kind of felt like Hughes should earn credit for something. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like he did basically force the goal to be scored. When I was saying to Brian Engblom on the bus after the game, because we were talking about it, I'm like, I wouldn't have a problem if they'd given the goal to Hughes, but it still should have been unassisted. That was an unassisted goal. Yep. Chernak put the puck into his own net after he had possession of it. Then, then, adding statistical insult to injury, the Maroon goal initially has assist to Belmar and Perry. Watching the replay, I'm not sure if Perry actually touched the puck because Subban is checked by Perry and, and loses it, and Belmar seems to get it. It's possible Perry touched it. But whether he did or he didn't, Belmar definitely did. He feeds Maroon. Maroon shoots it. It's blocked. Then it's like fumbleitis. Three devils are around the puck. No one can get a handle to it. They're like... Patty cake, patty cake, hits a skate, bounces off the stick, comes back to Maroon, he shoots it in. They changed that goal from a Maroon with two assists to Maroon unassisted. I'm like, that's the one you're giving unassisted? Right. You're saying the Devils had possession of that puck. That was more of a 50-50 and, and really not a 50-50. To me, that was like 70-30. Give the assist to Belmar. Because no Devil to me had clear, clean possession of the puck. It was like a scramble, and usually that is a, a goal or a play in which you see assists credited. But they decided to give two assists on the Devils' goal that Chernak took the puck away. Yeah. No assists should have been credited on that goal. And then they give assists on the Maroon goal, and like, mm, no, you know what, we're going to take that away because we feel the Devils had possession. <laughs> And back-to-back, back, within a minute of each other, those goals were scored. So, from like, I feel like I'm going into old-school <laughs> hockey purist mode. But, like, that offends me. It offends me. It offends from you. The, from the standpoint of, like, statistical purity, right? Like, stats are supposed to mean something. And usually they do. And we're talking about assists. We're not talking about goals, although in this case, I kind of think that Hughes maybe should have been cre given credit for the goal, even though he didn't actually touch the puck. He forced the puck into the net. But from an assist standpoint, you know, like, I'm not suggesting that scoring records are going to be broken here, but these things matter. 
There's an integrity when you say, you ask the question, is 400 goals the new 500 goals? That's an important milestone landmark, and we are relying on the accumulation of stats over a player's career to be fair, honest, and accurate based on the rules of the game. How much time has to elapse before – maybe that's the wrong way to phrase it. Are they allowed to change the scoring – Yes, five, I see the like league. five games, like five games well, down the road. Like I, look, they... this has not been changed yet. I mean, yeah. I checked it this morning. I have seen though tweets from the NHL, usually NHL Public Relations, which has its own account. It's like scoring change, third period of Vegas St. Louis game. You know, right. at twelve twenty-two of the third, Vegas goal now reads patchy ready from Theodore and. Whoever, stone before he got hurt. Yeah, I see that. So they go in and sometimes look and make a change. And maybe it's at the request of the team. I'm not sure if the Lightning are going to make a request. Belmar deserved an assist on that, in my opinion, which would have given him three points, which would have matched a a career high for him. I don't think that he is motivated (laughs) necessarily by his his stat line. I think he is he's motivated by other things, and that's where he's had success at the NHL level, but it's just interesting that to me, they got the first two goals wrong in terms of how they were scored for basically the same. They got the the reason wrong on both, but they were both tilted. One was tilted for the devil's players and the other was tilted against the lightning players. And I don't think if you're, I think if you're an off ice official and most of the off ice officials, like they're doing their best, they're, they're trying Maybe they didn't understand the rule. Maybe there's some explanation that I'm not getting here, but that was that was hometown off-ice officiating, really, is how I came out of that sequence, feeling that way. And maybe the league will intervene. Maybe they're just like, all right, we got enough other stuff to worry about here. They may, especially if a team does petition to change the score. Yeah, I'm not sure you the know. Lightning care about the two assists credited on the own goal scored by Chernak. But, you know, Belmar deserved an assist on that. He did. We'll see what happens. To me, he, like, he deserved an assist. But you know what, fans? You can go back and watch both goals and make your own decision, reach your own conclusions. But the Chernak play, it's not like the puck nicked off Chernak's stick and went in the net. Or it hit him in the skate and went in the net. Or it deflected off his stick and went in the net. That's different. He intercepts that puck. He has possession. He takes two strides with the puck and a stick like he's going back behind the lightning net. And it was a great play by Hughes. Great play. Heads up play. And it also goes to show how on top of the lightning the Devils were in the first period that Hughes was there to make that play. But to say that Chernak didn't have possession of the puck is just wrong. Agreed. We'll take a break. People anyway. want to react to that. They can't. I'm glad I got that out of the way. No, I'm glad you got show. it off your chest. You have to. At Bolts Radio, that's why we do the show. Uh, I want to do. I want to get into the line combinations. You and I touched on this in the post game, and I gave it a, a bit more thought. And that's always a little scary, but I, I want to get into that when we return, and uh, some other things as well as we're recapping Lightning's win over the Devils last night. You take a look at the standings heading into Wednesday's action. I mean, this is just high level stuff with the top three teams in each division in the Eastern Conference. Uh, basically, everybody has a 700 points percentage except the Rangers, who are at 688. It's it's pretty it's pretty impressive. We'll, we may touch on that a little later on in the show as well. He is Dave Michigan. I am Greg Linnelli. Steve Versnick is producing back after this on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. No, I think it's like individually we were not ready. I think um, even despite the fact that we talk about not thinking about the break and everything, um, we were way too slow. Uh, and unfortunately, we had to let three in to, to kind of get a kick in butt. And finally, we woke up. So uh, I would put that in, uh, in the unacceptable um, category. <laughs> I like that. Unacceptable category. Kicking butt. 
he was asked about the uh, the line combinations, and I think he had mentioned, you know, he really doesn't pay attention to that. The, the <laughs> like, question I got was enough ba- to worry about. Well, the, yeah, the question was basically like, did it? Did you draw confidence from the fact that John Cooper didn't touch your line and switched up the other lines? And I think he said, yeah, look, I, I just have enough on my plate, <laughs> you know, to worry about that. But it, it was something that you noticed, not only because of their play, but John Cooper changing up the lines. And Mish, we have seen this before with John Cooper. And the way it ended up playing out, Stammer was on a line with uh, Point and Kucherov. Palat was with Colton and Joseph. And then Kaloran was with Sorelli and Taylor Radish. And you had asked me in the postgame show, what do you make of it? And I I think my first response, and I I think I said this on the air, was that, look, I I don't want to read too much into it. Because I, I, I do understand that John Cooper does things like this. And, look, he may go with those line combinations to start against Edmonton. I don't know. What I will say, and I will I will stand by what I said to you. It had to have been. It was, it was yesterday on the broadcast. That I think Anthony Sorelli... And we can talk about who his line mates would be in this situation. Is going to be come playoff time the shutdown centerman. He is going to be matched up against the other team's best line. Now, look, I know there are exceptions to rules, and maybe that doesn't play out. For me, I think Sorelli is the guy you want in those situations. I think the question becomes who is he playing with? I have a hard time thinking, and not because he can't do it. I just don't know if you want him doing it, understanding the year he's had and maybe freeing him up not to do a lot of the grinding work because he's finally healthy this year and he's playing at a high level. I don't know if I want Steven Stamkos part of that line that is out there taking really hard shifts against the other team's best players. I think that job is more suited for an Anthony Sorelli. Now, what does that mean for the other line combinations? We can have that conversation. We can have that debate. If you want to keep Palat with Kucherov and Point, and you want to say to start, that's what it's going to be. Look, I know I'm getting ahead of myself because injuries can happen, but hypothetical here. But since we're talking about line changes, I thought it would be kind of interesting to at least discuss. We know Sorelli has chemistry with Kalorn. We do know Stamkos has played with those guys and has done very well, for sure. I actually think when push comes to shove, you could see a scenario where it is Sorelli with Kalorn and Colton as a line that's going out there to try and shut down the other team's top line in a playoff series. Now you can say, well, where does Stamkos play? Who is he playing with? That's a fair question. No question about it. That leaves, you know, a guy like Matthew Joseph uh, out there. And, you know, some may say, well, he's probably more suited for another role. Okay. I get that. I do. And, you know, I, I don't know if you want to elevate a guy like Taylor Radish or even a Boris Kachuk. I don't think you want to mess with the, the Belmar line. I, I understand there could be some complications with that. But my thinking is... I think one, I think Sorelli's your guy when it comes to defensive assignments against the other team's top line. Who is he with? I I think you can make a strong case Kalorn's part of that equation because of the chemistry, and I think Kalorn can play that game as well. I threw Colts in there because I feel like he is a guy that is responsible defensively, fast, and also can chip in offensively in addition to what the other two guys can do. But if you don't want to go Colton, that's fine. I don't know if I want Stammer, who arguably right now is their best goal scorer, might be playing their most consistent brand of hockey this year. I don't know if I want him in a scenario, in a situation like that, for a full seven-game series. That's my inclination. And maybe there's a trade down the road that, that frees something up. 
where we're not having that conversation. And maybe it is a guy like Stamkos and Kalorn and Sorelli as a line. And, and maybe there's another responsibility out there for another line when it comes to Lightning shutting down the other team's uh, top unit. But part of that, that's kind of my gut on that. And it's it's more of, I think Sorelli has the body of work and the makeup where his game is best suited for that. It's not that Stamkos can't do it. I just don't know if I want him playing that type of game in the playoffs because I think they're going to need him to score. It was about the the shuffling of the lines. And he was asked about what he liked about the Belmar line. He answered that. And later, Eric asked him, you know, when you're shuffling your lines, are you doing it because in the moment that's the right thing to do? Or as you've gotten these guys healthy, are you looking at combinations for down the road in the playoffs? And Coop basically said, when you're in the heat of the moment, you're just trying to win the game, which I get and and I believe. And I think that's the the motive for shuffling things up to try and give your team a spark. So according to Coop, you know, when he's making these moves, he's not really thinking at the time what's what's going to be my matchup line in a potential playoff series. Now, as they get into that series or get ready for that series, he and his coaching staff will have those discussions, and it may affect how a line is constructed. Frankly, if you were going to make the argument that you want Sorelli as your shutdown center with Kalorn, you could have Palat there, too. And that was the line that was formed last night. Good point. Palat certainly has that pedigree. Yep. You mentioned Colton. And then you could go with a Stamkos-Kucherov point line, which they have been a line. They haven't been a line a lot in the last couple of years based yeah. on player availability and, and guys being out of the lineup, first Stamkos and then and then Kuch. But you could go with a top six looking like that. I think we've mentioned that we kind of feel those are the players that will comprise those top two lines, but how the lines are configured may be a fluid situation, as it was last night. He he mixed them up a little bit, and we saw a different combination than what we have seen earlier this year. Maybe Ross Colton is part of that conversation, and and somebody has shifted – onto a different line where Colton had been. It also may be somewhat contingent on who is your opponent and what line are you looking to match against. What I feel confident saying, though, and this is not some great leap of, of speculation on my part, because I think we've seen it the last few years, Whatever that forward line is going to be as a matchup line, you're going to see McDonough and Chernak. As much as Lightning can get those two defensemen out there, that's going to be the the matchup they want against the other teams. If you want to call it their top line or most dangerous line, but I have to say, Greg, whoever the Lightning see in the playoffs, probably they're going to have they're going to be more than a one trick pony. Oh, for sure, no doubt, and, and, and I. Maybe you have Sorelli in a role where you're like, we want you against this line, but the other guys on the other lines are also going to have to defend really well. And that, and I, I want to be very clear. A lot of this is hypotheticals. Who knows? I will say this, though. When John Cooper is in the heat of the moment and they're just trying to win games, that doesn't mean you can't take mental notes and say, you know what? That line combination in Jersey, that worked. Yeah. We of may course. use that in the playoffs. And I, I think that's part of the process. I, I Again, I, I don't want to come off saying that Stamkos can't play that role. I, I just I don't know if I want him in that role. Just like I don't know if I want Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov in a role like that. Mm-hmm. And you're right. Those three guys have had a lot of chemistry. I think what makes the interesting part about Sorelli and Kulorn and Colton together is the fact that there's a greediness to their game. They've got a little bit of of offensive upside, and they all can skate. And I think that's going to be part of what goes into that equation, whoever they play partner in the playoffs. Because whoever they play is going to be a team that's fast, skilled, and can skate. You know, whether that's the Panthers, whether that's the Maple Leafs, or whether that's the Boston Bruins, and to a lesser extent, uh, a heavier team when you start talking about the Washington Capitals. So yeah. I, I acknowledge the the matchup may differ slightly who they will play 
in the playoffs. And again, we're 32 games away from this happening. But I do think it is interesting to start looking at some of these combinations and say, all right, there isn't a a Yanni Gord line where that was their role. Third line, you're going to go out there, you're going to wreak havoc, you're going to score some goals, and you're just going to be tough to play against. I think you can make a case the Lightning from top to bottom this year have somewhat of that mentality, and particularly the Belmar line. But I don't know if the Belmar line would be up to the task skating-wise to go against the other team's top line. I don't think you want that matchup. And so that leaves you with the other nine forwards. And as far as I'm concerned, I think Sorelli with this team is probably best served in a role like that because I think Kalorn and Sorelli have shown chemistry. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think you bring up a really good point with Pilat. You could throw him on there. I mean, if you really wanted to, you could throw, you know, a Matthew Joseph. I kind of like the Ross Colton angle because I think he is a guy that would do very well in an elevated role. I think he has the skill set and the smarts to adapt playing with those players and to be really responsible. But I, I acknowledge a lot of this is just projection. But I think it was pretty interesting to see some of those line combinations last night, the fact that they did work, and what does that mean moving forward? But it, it's something I think to keep an eye on, and at least for us, it's fun to debate. Nobody can question this, though, Mish. Steven Stamkos is having a hell of a year. I mean, this guy, from a, a goal-scoring perspective, has been phenomenal. And I think you want to ride that as long as you can. And, you know, who knows what teams will do when they match up against the Lightning. I mean, you're probably looking at a scenario where Point and Kucherov, assuming they are together, they will get the other team's best defensive unit, whether that's the defenseman or whether that's the forward line. But now you leave Stamkos in a situation where, whether he's playing with those guys or somebody else, he has given them a really nice one-two punch, arguably down the middle, that I don't want to say we're surprised, but it's it's been nice to see this year because we just haven't seen maybe Stamkos fully healthy for a season. And if this is the case, if, if these are the results, boy, I do want to take advantage of that as much as possible in the playoffs. He is shooting the puck so well. I mean, the goal he scored last night, I said at the time, that wasn't a one-timer. Right, one right. reason why it wasn't a one-timer, Kucherov had to hurry the puck to him. Yes. Because Kucherov was feeling some pressure along the boards. And there were a couple of devils in the vicinity of Stamkos. But the reason, one reason why Stamkos couldn't fire a one-timer was the pass was too far in front of him, so he had to stop it on his backhand and then draw it back to his forehand, which he was able to do before the Devils defenders could close on him. And then he almost, like, settled it down, looked up, decided where he was going, and wristed it in. That was a really impressive goal, and, and it's hard to say it wasn't, like, Stamkos-esque because he scored a lot of goals in a lot of different ways in his career, but you think about him drilling a one-timer into the top of the net where the goalie just can't react in time. Yeah. The goalie scored last night was not one of those sorts of goals. It was a right. it was a well-placed goal, well-placed shot that didn't have as much velocity on it as you would see when he one-times it. That was a really good play, good stick work by Stamkos. It was. To accept the puck, put it in a position where he could shoot, and then pick a spot. Yeah. No doubt. He's been uh, he's been fantastic. It'll be re really be curious to see how some of this unfolds when uh, the games get uh, real serious. By the way, Darren Radish was reassigned to Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Not a surprise. No. Chernak back. Sergachev also had a, uh, a fight last night with uh, <laughs> Chernak was in the lineup, too, and had a fight his first game back in, in nine games. Both of those guys, I thought, acquitted themselves well. <laughs> Thrown yes. down. Well, Sergachev can... He can, can throw, throw him. him. He, he secretly. Yeah, I'm not sure if Severson had seen the highlights from Sergachev's earlier fights, but Severson hung in there. I will say this: he doesn't do it a lot, and Maroon has more fights, and Chernak is willing for sure. Yeah, Sergachev might be their best fighter. You, you can take that comment however you want. What does that really mean in the, in the grand scheme of things? I mean, fighting is what it is, as long as it's part of the game. It's going to be there. 
Sergachev, in the limited time he's dropped the gloves, he has at least held his own or he won the fight. And, you know, last night he, he throws three rights right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't think Severson understood what was going on. But I think I think you could make a strong case right now at this point, Sergachev might be their best fighter. Maroon's their more experienced guy. Look, you fight Chara as much as he has, and you come out surviving, you know what you're doing. I, I understand that. Um, it's just the the small encounters I've seen from Sergachev have been a, a bit more violent. <laughs> you know, yeah. and it's it's been it's been pretty impressive uh, to watch. Hopefully, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> moving forward, because you want him on the ice, but both of Mason guys... Geertsen was ready to blow his top last <laughs> night on Maroon. Yeah, I mean Brian Engblom has talked about how Maroon just never stops chirping at ice level when Brian's calling the game yeah. from between the benches, and I have a feeling he had some choice words that really got Geertsen worked up. And you know, good because Geertsen Cal- was not as upset with other Lightning players. Yeah. He wanted Maroon specifically and then when Chernak had his fight with Nate Bastion they sent Geertsen off for a 10-minute misconduct just to get him yeah. get him out of the game hey uh good to see Cal Foote get engaged physically too mm-hmm. the play that's uh who was it sliding into Vassie student each student each that was I mean, yeah. look, you don't like to see it but no hesitation and I think that goes a long way in a locker room and that was good to see Cal Foote you know do some of that so uh, some observations there. We'll take a break. At Bolts Radio, wrap things up here on the show and talk about maybe some milestones that were met last night around the league. And we'll do that when we return. He is Dave Michigan. I'm Greg Lanelli, Steve Ersick producing. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Glad you're with us. Power Lunch rolls along asking you, Via our show Twitter page, our 400 career goals, the new 500. And if you want to react to the game last night, you certainly can. Hit us up on Twitter again, at Bolts Radio. And I was thinking about this, too, because, Mesh, we... Uh, Corey Perry's very close to 400 mm-hmm. career goals we have and seen. just to be clear, you're asking that question in the context of Hall of Fame considerations? Yeah, I, I think I probably should have prefaced that by saying, uh, is that automatically an induction into the Hall of Fame? I think people kind of get it because p- most people look at 500 and say you're in. I mean, I think if you look at yeah. the, the players who have hit 500, I think all of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. But understanding that goals are harder to come by, schemes are a, a lot harder to go against, goaltending I think arguably is, is better just because of the equipment and how athletic guys are. Um, some may differ. You know, I think that might be an interesting question to talk to Phil about. But you're seeing Corey Perry approach 400. And Sidney Crosby hits 500 last night against the Flyers, his 50th career goal against Philadelphia as well. Um, I don't know, Dave, if you have any strong thoughts on on 400 being the new 500, you know, the kind of the goalpost shift a little bit there. And part of me says, look, to get into the Hall of Fame, it should be really hard to do that, whether it's 3,000 hits in baseball or 500 home runs. Whatever that is, is hockey, you know, should it have those same standards when you start talking about goals or points? Uh, I get that. You know, some of this, again, might come down to the other things you've accomplished in your career, championships, MVP awards, assists, maybe even how long you played in Mm -hmm. the league. But it's interesting seeing that Perry is on the verge of doing that, and then you see a guy like Crosby hit 500, and I, I don't think anybody would question that Crosby's not a, a slam dunk Hall of Famer. I think Perry, he gets to 400 and, and chases and crawls that ladder a little bit more. I think you can start to make a case that he would be in that, that conversation. But there's a few guys right now actively that are over 400 goals that I, I think you could make a strong argument are borderline and, and, and maybe even make a strong case they are Hall of Famer. Jeff Carter, you know, comes to mind as somebody mm-hmm. who uh, is in that mode. But... Well, the good news for these players is that they don't get in right away. They do have additional years turn consideration, although realistically, the farther away you get from from your first year of eligibility, I do right. think it becomes more difficult. Anderchuk is a 
is a notable exception in that it took him several years before he got in, but he held that mantle as power play goal leader up until this year. So I think in some ways that helped him. He was he was a really unique player in that I think he warranted consideration for as long as he did before he got in. And and to some extent, and this is the other side of the coin, you are you are limited if you are a borderline player you are you are at the mercy of that's the expression i'm looking for you are at the mercy of the other players who are under consideration so like when you pose this question of 400 goals versus 500 goals and 500 goals should be automatic maybe 500 goals is automatic whether it's 400 or 420 or 437 or whatever like that may be a a positive check mark but who else is up in that particular year they do have a limit of the number of players who can be inducted each year so it becomes almost a process of elimination once you get the automatics because I feel there are some automatics every year because there are players who are coming up for eligibility based on their retirement year so I guess I would answer it this way. Like, the stats are important, but so is the the full body of work, which includes kind of leadership, durability, championships. You know, in a particular stat, were you appreciably elite, like Andrichuk with power play goals? But the other part of it is, who else is up? Who else is eligible? And you may just get squeezed out based on those circumstances that are really out of your control. Yep. I don't I think agree Cros- like yeah. whoever is going up the same year that Crosby is in his first year of eligibility, you know that Crosby is getting one of those slots. For sure. The same with Ovechkin. You no, know no. that's the case. And I would even say if if he continues down this path, I mean when Stamkos is done, I, I think you would throw him yeah. in that category. I mean Stamkos, he's not he's not like where Crosby was like Right, right right up to 500 but he's got a fair shot at getting there I mean, if he has what is he yeah i should look it up i, I think he's th- in I the 460s or 460s. 470s i think he's 461 all right so he's Maybe. in the in the low 460s of course he's he scored gonna get last there. night he's gonna get there so is he gonna score 39 goals between now and the end of the year that'd be great i'm not sure that's gonna happen <laughs> but could he could he hit it by yeah. next year yeah if he stays healthy, sure. Yeah, he's good. at 462. 462 with the goal last night. And I think the thing with Stamkos is people are going to look at that and say, look look at how many games he accomplished yes. that in, too. I mean, yeah. I think that's... All the time he's missed. Yeah, I mean, to me, that's impressive. Like, these guys, like Stamkos is going to hit 1,000 points before he plays 1,000 games. Mm-hmm. That's going to be impressive. That's an impressive resume. That's elite. That's Hall of Fame worth. And, and also, like, are you... Like, you're kind of asking, are the goalposts getting moved here based on the era in which we're in, where, you know, the goalies, their equipment is so much bigger and it's harder to score, certainly than it was in the 80s, although it's less difficult to score now than it was in the late 90s when what they called the dead puck era, and they adjusted some of the rules to to help offense in in that regard. And I think it's worked, but... You know, as players start to get in who are not slam dunks, let's say, but you start to see more players get in. Hey, this guy scored 420 goals, and this guy scored 409 goals. You know, then maybe that argument becomes more accepted that, yeah, there are a lot of players in there who have not scored 500 we're in the 400 range, maybe in the low 400 range, but their body of work was impressive enough that they they got in, whether it was through durability or leadership or cups or you know the other elements that go into it. Like, you know, I'm looking at some of the the career leaders in scoring right now, okay? How is Pierre Turgeron not in the Hall of Fame? He's got over 1,300 points, 515 goals. Well, I don't know the answer to that, but that's that's an <laughs> example mean, of a guy whose first year of eligibility is way back in the rearview mirror. 
It is. But, I mean, those numbers are. Makes it harder. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. And he was, a, I mean, look, he's the 34th leading scorer in the history of the NHL. He's going to need somebody to advocate for him, and he's going to have to try and get, yeah, you just did, try and get in in a year when there's not as much, I'll call it, competition. Like, is Patrick Marlowe a Hall of Famer? Marty St. Louis in. He's the 79th career point producer Mm -hmm. in NHL history. But you have guys in front of him like Kopitar is still playing. Eric Stahl's not. We can have a conversation about that. It's interesting, the criteria, and maybe it is who you go in with. Marty had an intangible, though, that really helped him, and that is that he changed the game. And what I mean by that is before Marty St. Louis really established himself as a top player in the NHL and won an MVP award, it was very rare for players of his size to have the kind of impact that he had. And, you know, yes, he benefited from the rule changes that came after the 0405 lockout, but he was doing damage before then. So yeah, you want to call him a transformational player? I think that's fair, and that that is an asset that some of the other guys you mentioned maybe have more points than him, even if they're still playing, don't have. Right. That was that was a huge positive check mark for Marty probably when they they considered his candidacy and you know he got in in his first year of eligibility no shock. Sure. But he really he really opened the door for a lot of younger not younger smaller players who were younger. He did. But smaller saying, "Hey, Marty St. Louis can do it. I can do it too." Was Paul seen a proliferation of of what would have been considered undersized players that would have had very little shot to to even get a chance to be in the NHL before Marty St. Louis came along. Theo Fleury and Paul Correa might have yeah, been before. I mean, there are some examples, but Marty, I think, was a trailblazer in a way. For sure. And his story was a great one, too. Yeah. You know where he came from. So and just something to think about. But, you know, Crosby, it's 500. Uh, Toffoli scores in his debut with the Flames. The Flames end up winning seven rolling, straight. They are rolling, man. You know, you, they crushed Columbus, and I know, Miss, you talked about them yesterday. Just that's a that's a team to keep an eye on, no doubt. Yeah, Coming we may out need the West. to start including them in the Colorado Vegas yeah conversation. And Vegas, Vegas is going to have to go through. If you believe that Vegas is going to get in the playoffs and is on track to get to the conference final again where they may or may not meet Colorado. I mean, there are no, there's no cakewalk path for Colorado either. I mean, Minnesota's a really good team. I, I firmly believe that. And St. Louis has had a good year as well. Colorado's going to have some work to do to, to get to that point as well. But if you believe that Vegas is the team in the Pacific, the only team in the Pacific, think again. Understanding yeah. upsets can happen. As I said on yesterday's show, or maybe it was the day before. I can't remember. You know, there there are no there are no cakewalks in the playoffs, and and any team you see in the playoffs is capable of beating you. But if we were to kind of look the overhead view, Calgary at this point is trending toward a team that they are going to give Vegas a run for for its money, run for their money to get out of that Pacific Division. So did you see that report? And play for the Western Conference. Coming out yesterday that uh, Kelly McCrimmon said there's no credence to the rumor that they're going to be trading for Marc-Andre Fleury because Leonard is now out. He's got an upper body injury. Ah, more long-term so, injury. Yeah, and you know their backup goaltenders, you know, again, this that changes the complexion of their team. Eichel's supposed to play tonight. Yeah. So we'll see how that plays out. But goaltending, as we know. Yeah, they have Brossois. Yeah. Is Leonard out long term or it's unclear? It doesn't say. He's undergoing testing. And they said, I don't have any more information other than that. Hmm. It's unrelated to what McCrimmon said was a cleanup surgery he had on his left shoulder one week after he signed that five-year deal on October 3rd of 2020. 
Okay. So Daily Faceoff reported that the Golden Knights could be interested in reacquiring Flurry. Yeah, but then McCrimmon that. said no. Right, I but saw I mean, his uh, quote. Think about that. The Daily Faceoff reported they could be interested. What? <laughs> you got you got to come with a little bit more force. Well, McCrimmon even said normally I wouldn't even address yeah, right. this, but this is kind of gotten some legs. <laughs> yeah. Outside Plus, they've of got our, serious cap issues. Yeah, yeah, but outside of what Vegas is trying to do, he understood that outside the Vegas bubble, yeah. this rumor had taken off, and he wanted to quash Listen, it. Peter Peter DeBoer doesn't want Flurry on that team. He made it pretty clear he, Leonard's his guy. Now maybe he doesn't have a choice if Leonard's injured, and you mm-hmm. know, but I don't think he wants any part of bringing in a Mark Andre Flurry to deal with that again. I just, I yeah. don't, I don't. It is I don't the think last year it. of. Flurry's contract, though, correct? It is. Yeah. It is. Hey, uh, I want to mention, Greg, before we we break, it happened late last night, early this morning. U.S. men's Olympic hockey team lost in a shootout. Ugh. Quarterfinals. Brutal. So they went undefeated in the preliminary round, but once they got to the knockout round, they allowed a sixth attacker goal to Slovakia and lost in a shootout. So... Uh. USA men's USA team for hockey eliminated. That's thing. The U.S. women though play another gold medal match against Canada tonight. the The U.S. women and the Canadian women. What did I read? I think this is going to be the sixth meeting for a gold medal in the last seven Olympics. I maybe I may be getting that off by one. But I think I it's wonder. I think that's true because they've played five times before. Canada's won three. U.S. has won two, including the last one, which they wanted to shoot out. And I guess Canada fell to Sweden today as well as we're getting these. I did not see yeah. that. Yeah, they lost. Sweden. Sweden's a good team. I mean, yeah, they are. It's the the men's side is different than the women's side in that the women's side is basically the U.S. and Canada. And then everybody else, which is yeah. why these two teams tend to meet in the gold medal match. But when they meet in the gold medal match, it's usually a really tight, emotional, fierce, thrilling game. And we'll see if that was a, the a same two nothing loss. Tonight. And Sweden now advances to the semifinals to take on Russia. Russia, I I believe, just from what I'm reading, is the favorite because they have a lot of KHL guys that are mm. over there and. Some Technically, some it's not Russia, stuff. though. It's the Russian Olympic Committee, Russian. right? I'm not quite sure what the difference is, but I guess I they make that distinction. Vladimir Putin's team. <laughs> that's how. That's how I'll. It I'll goes back it, to though. the doping scandal a couple years. Well, ago. Well, I understand, so, but yes. what does it mean? Like they're still Russian, right? So the they athletes still get are Russian. Medals, but in the official Olympic count, Russia does not get medals. So when really? you go through the history of the Olympics. These medals do not count for Russia. It's just for the athletes themselves. Interesting. It's their punishment. And the committee that is sending yes. them there, right? Wow. How about that figure skater? Have you heard about that scandal? Oh. <laughs> I have read about it, yes. So yeah, she- even that penetrated the Linelli bubble. Because you were pretty <laughs> much, if it's not hockey in the Olympics, you pretty much have the blinders on. I'm impressed that that reached you. It was on my Twitter feed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Well, that was the one sport my daughter good. and I watched when they were doing yeah. the team event. And th- I watched her skate in one of the programs, and her score was so much better than anybody else's in her category. Like, women short programs. So not like pairs or dancing or ice dancing or anything like that. You know, she skates by herself against other Olympic women who are skating by themselves. And she was, like, so far ahead. It was... It was kind of like the U.S. and, and Canada in yeah. women's hockey. That's how far ahead she was of the right. competition. And then this news came out that she had failed a drug test. Yes. Well. But it's still competing. So I don't profess to understand all the intricacies. I don't either. I will sooner understand how Dawson Mercer's goal had two assists on it than I will <laughs> trying to figure out exactly – the decisions that they make with the Olympic committee about who can participate and who can't. Good point. Good point. We'll Which see is to changes. say, I don't really understand it. If it but. changes, we'll come on and do a show. 
right then. <laughs> Breaking news on, and do a show. on Bolts yes. Radio. By the way, I think well, we're good luck to the U.S. women tonight. Though. Yeah, for sure. I think I think you know we talk about rivalries in sports today. I think that would be right up there uh, in sports. You know, Team Canada versus Team USA. I think in hockey, that is a lot of people enjoy that. No doubt about it. Uh, we are going to enjoy the next two days off. Yeah. Right? That's going to be fun. Kind of refresh, reboot. Hopefully, we're not rusty on Monday. I we hope may. not. We won't have to make any line changes. If so, we'll just do the first 10 minutes and not put it on the air. <laughs> That's a good point. We'll do a <laughs> practice run. So, uh, we'll, we'll still have programming. You'll you know hear this show, some games. Steve will take care of that. And then we'll be with you on Monday. And then it's basically going to be just a, a busy, busy time from there on out. Because of the the upcoming months, and then yeah. hopefully you know the playoffs. and get ready for the outdoor game too, yeah. which will be, be really exciting. Steve Versnick coming on the road. It'll be great to make sure we have a signal from the football stadium. Yes, they started building the uh, the <laughs> rink and all that now too. So oh, good. that's already good. underway. Sweet. That'll be and a lot Phil, of fun. Phil so. is going to be there too. So, yeah. I know. Bring we'll your binoculars. Bring your binoculars. Yes. We are way up. Well, you know, you do the best you can. Call those. Games, you do the best you can. The uniforms you can are are are. Nice and and the uniforms aren't big. The numbers are nice and big on the uniforms. By the way, I love the Devils' third jerseys. Devils have some of the best uniforms for seeing numbers in the league. That's why you like it. They're regular jerseys, but yeah. Well, I like I like black and white combos. Yeah. I I do like the Kings jerseys, which are a little different than these Devils jerseys, which had a little bit of red in them. The Kings jerseys have a little bit of silver in them, but I like the black and white look yeah whatever helps whatever helps but personal preference but beyond that yes the numbers are very clear and very big on on the jersey jerseys right that say jersey on them partner enjoy the next couple of days we'll do it again on monday steve you too buddy and uh thanks to everybody who's been listening hit us up on twitter at bolts radio you've been listening to power lunch on lightning power play